I just don't have anything else to preach this morning but about our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that again, time after time, and and message after message we continue what we call this manifestation of the Lord Jesus. And uh, so I want to take you to a couple of places this morning in Scripture. Uh, Can you go to the book of John first, the book of John, the first chapter of the book of John? And reading from the 29th verse, and on the morrow, John sees Jesus coming uh, towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he about whom I said, After me comes a man who has been before me, for he was preceding me. And I did not know him, but that he be revealed to Israel. But for this reason, I came baptizing in water. Would you go with me to the book of Romans? And here I want to pick up a scripture out of the uh, 10th chapter and the 16th and 17th verses. I want to build on something and establish uh, something here this morning. Romans didn't mark it, so hang on with me while I get there. The 10th chapter and the 16th verse. And not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And verse 17. Then faith is of hearing, and hearing through the word of God. Faith is of hearing, and hearing through the word of God. Now, Lord, we ask you this morning. That as we begin to break open your word, that Lord, the inspiration won't be in the speed or the amount of sound that we put out, but it will be the word of God itself, that you would absolutely touch our hearts this morning. And as we've preached this whole string of sermons, Lord, about you, we want to know you, Lord. We want to walk before you. We want to have the revelation of Christ in our life, and we ask you that each one that hears this morning will receive, that the going forth of your word will accomplish what you have sent it to do, and won't return back unto you void, Lord, and we just praise you for it now, in Jesus' wonderful name, amen, 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 amen. I just want to talk about more Jesus' manifestation. This will be like our third part of this series, and so we've got a couple more to go. And if you don't like hearing about Jesus, you're probably in the wrong church. Somebody say amen. I Maybe I should hesitate here, but uh, Rodney's already read it once. But Romans, uh, first, or the first chapter, 17th verse and 18th verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We just, we just did that. Doesn't the Lord know how to connect things here? Amen. For it is the power, the enabling power of God into salvation to everyone believing, both first to the the Jew and then to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness 
of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it has been written, the righteous shall live out of, from, within faith. And I need to talk to, to that this morning about faith. Faith can be placed in a lot of things. Faith can be in yourself, that I'm a self-made man. I take care of myself. I'm the one who has provided for my family. You can have faith in yourself. You can have faith in, in, the, uh, in the job that you're in. It's going to keep going. Everything's going to be good. I'm going to get better and better and make more and more. You can have faith in governments around us. But all of these things will fail, and there's only one faith that's going to last in us, and that is the righteous shall live from faith. The righteous will live out of, from, within faith. Not in yourself, not in this world, not in the systems of this world, but the faith that we have in Jesus Christ is the only thing that is a stable faith. There's just one faith that's going to work. We go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter again, they're just... One faith, there's not several, not many, that's going to work for your life. Just that one single faith. And I like this because it says the righteous shall live out of faith. The righteous, not those who, who claim to be righteous and aren't, not those who are churchy, those that put the title over themselves Christian, but those who are righteously living before God, there is this factor in our life that's not in the world, and that factor is faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So living out of from within faith, there's, there's a couple of respects here, and then one of them is just this daily living in a carnal world and living in faith. And Paul addresses this when he said we walk by faith, and not by sight. That's very difficult for us to do, to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I'm talking about the world that we just live in, everything around us, just, just the carnal world around us. When things change, when things happen, it, it kind of shakes us, and, and we begin to think on the level of how we're going to do and what we're gonna, how we're going to react, and those are things being seen. And Paul also says this, the things that are seen are temporal and the things unseen are eternal. They are everlasting. And we begin to start thinking on temporal things and faith cannot be in temporal things. Faith has to be in things above. Faith has to be in the eternal things of God. And so we come into this daily life that we live and things change, and things are moving, things are happening, and all around us now we, we have this, these changes taking place all around our life, and we look at those, and if we just look at them in the carnal mind, it seems like, God, what, what in the world, what do we do? But there's also a second, and that is the daily living in the spiritual life. Those that walk according to the flesh, have fleshly opinions, the Scripture says. Those walking in the Spirit have insight from the Spirit of God. And the mind or the thought process, the mind of the Spirit is life and is peace. 
And so we see things happening around us. We see troubles on every side. We see stuff that we never thought. Little Rodney just said, three years ago, we would have never dreamed that some of the things that are happening around us are happening now. And so we, we begin to cry, Lord, Jesus, rescue this nation from a total collapse. We love our nation. We, we are patriotic and, and we're involved in, in believing and seeing we're all taxpayers and we all believe that our nation has been so good and we want it to survive. We want freedom to survive and reign over us. And so we come to the Lord and say, Lord, rescue this nation from total collapse. But really we should say, Lord, by faith in you, we will maintain life and peace, regardless of what the situation is, regardless of the collapse around us, we will maintain life and peace for the mind of the Spirit. It is life and it is peace. And so we maintain that in the name of the Lord. Then faith, listen, faith is out of from within hearing and hearing. And there's a little bit of a twist on this because in the ancient text, Hearing was hearing from the word of Christ or dia ramatas Christu. And later translation said a word of God, which really is interchangeable. But for this morning, I want to tell you that your faith can't just be lodged somewhere in a God somewhere out there. That your faith just can't be in systems and, and things of this world. But your faith has got one place to, to anchor to. Your faith only has one stronghold. And it's not just even church. It's not just the Christians that are with us. Our faith is in Jesus Christ alone. And so hearing a word of Christ, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, hearing about him, it does something in our life that entertainment doesn't do. It does something in our life that special singing doesn't take care of, that, that the latest trend, uh, a trendy pastor, a trendy evangelist come by our church. No, that doesn't take care of it. There's only one thing that will build your faith, and that is hearing the word of Christ. And so we labor. We labor at that. It's not easy to continue to just preach the word of Christ. Well, other pastors and other churches are building churches based on how people feel and, and how, how they're, they're meeting their day-to-day -day lives without Christ. But Paul wrote it this way. He said, my children, for which I have travailed again until Christ should be formed in you. This ongoing revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on and on. And when we look at the, the, the birthing process, the conception in a womb, and, and, and Paul's going to use this parallel here because, again, he's going to travail until Christ is birthed and born and formed inside of us. So I think he comes back to the church Time after time after time. 
and you read the uh, epistles to the Colossians and you read the epistles to the Philippians and the Ephesians and the Corinthians and read the, the epistle to the Romans and, and what you're going to find there is there's some things he's talking about to that church but the fix is always Jesus Christ. It's always the faith of the Lord. It never is about fixing problems outside of him. So he travails. He travails. What is travail? That's just agony. That's just the pain that birthing brings and a man of God, a preacher of God is going to travail in the sense that he's going to continue against the the tide, he's going to continue against the trends, he's going to continue when people don't respond, he's going to continue when it's not popular, he's going to continue to preach and he travails at preaching the word of God because it is the only hope of salvation in your life, it's the only hope that you will ever make it in this life is your faith that is grounded and rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been through some things in my life. Like everyone here, we've brushed up against problems. We've had issues that looked like it would bring us down. There's been times when what you thought and what you hoped and people that you put your faith in and trusted in, they fell and things fell. And it looked like that looking around you, that all the things that you had hope and trusted in have fallen. But I found out in times like that, there is just one thing that is going to keep me, and that is my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't put my faith in others. I can't put my faith in family even. My faith has to be directed continually, constantly, daily, every day, serving and knowing and walking with my Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, this desire, hunger for an ongoing relationship in Christ that is revealing the Lord to us. And it begins small and it begins to build. And most of you who have come here for a while, and I don't want to just brag here, but we do, all of our teachers and preachers, preach the revelation of Jesus. And then you go somewhere else and, you, and you're like, wow, I just didn't get anything. I mean, it, it may have been a good service. They may have had a good time, but I just I feel, feel like I'm missing something because because you always, when you come to the house of God, you need the, the, the revealing of the Lord to touch your life and build your faith. And so we continue that because I know this progression of faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So in this third phase, I don't want to look at it this way this morning of revealing the Lord in his actual lifetime here on the earth. First he was born, and we preached about that. Love talking about the Savior being born into the world. It's a wonderful thing. Then we went to his baptism and his anointing last week. Talked about him going into the water, John the Baptist, him receiving the anointing and the high priesthood, and then... In this third division, let me talk this morning a little bit, and I want to address a few other things, but 
This morning I want to talk about his messianic ministry. I, I think this scripture really kind of sums up what's going on in his ministry. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world. What was his mission a lot of people like to use that word Jesus' mission and, and his ministry. And what was he trying to do? And what he was trying to do is just show people that, that God loves them. Well, that may be one of the features of what he was doing, showing God's love to people. But, but really, the emphasis is on God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's reconciling. What does the world was the word reconcile? It just means to buy it back, to bring it back, to to put it in in the right standing, in the right state. God is in Christ, and He's out there doing a work. How is God doing the work? He's doing it in Christ Jesus. That's where. All reconciliation of humanity comes to God. There is no other salvation. There's no other way. Everything reconciled to God comes into Christ Jesus. So he is out there in the world, and he's reconciling that world to himself. John the Baptist, his witness is recorded by the Apostle John. Now, you know, we talked about this last week, that John... He's out in the water, but I, I, I just read where John said this was the reason why I was baptizing because of the proclamation that I would make over him. And so he's in the water baptizing. I said this very quickly last week, but I want to say it again. I think it goes, it, it's worth repeating. Let's put it that way. Anyone can baptize you. But only an anointed man of God can reveal Christ to you. Anyone can baptize you. Anyone can hold a church service. That, that takes just a little talent, a little know-how, a little charisma, some good music, and a 25-minute sermon of how you ought to enjoy your good life right now. And everybody's good and go home. But John the Baptist, he's not stopping there. And neither are the men of God stopping there. And, and the, the challenge is going to be heated up to the men of God in this hour. Are you just going to baptize people? Or are you going to reveal Christ to them? And I think the challenge for the church, the challenge for the preachers, is this very sentence that John the Baptist, looking at Jesus, said, Behold! the Lamb of God, the one taking away the sin of the world. And I thought about this before, and it seemed like that, that verse is so open that, that Jesus just come to do what a lot of the uh, little lovey-dovey messages talk about. Jesus just took all the sin of the world. But really, it doesn't say that because he's the one taking on. It, it uses this Greek word, eron. It's to take upon oneself, to carry what has been raised to bear Jesus, the Lamb of God. If you want to see the one who's going to bear the sin of the world, it's Jesus, the Lamb of God. He come to bear. He didn't come to erase everybody's sin. He came to bear that sin to the cross and there to settle 
that, that sin to settle that reconciliation with humanity and God. The reconciliation is at the foot of the cross and that's where he takes the sin of the world. He doesn't unilaterally erase the sin of the world but what he does is bears it to the cross and there he nails it to the cross. Can you say amen? This bearing the sin of the world doesn't start at the cross. It starts at the anointing. It starts in Acts, Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And let me say again that he came to Jordan as Jesus of Nazareth. But he came out of Jordan as Jesus the Christ. He came there as one who was like everybody else in, in Revelation. They knew him as a man. They knew him as a carpenter. But when he comes out of there, now they're going to know him as something more than that. They're going to know him as Yeshua HaMashiach. They're going to know him as the Christ that was to come. And he is the only Christ that was to come. Can the church say amen? There's a big preacher in San Antonio that said, no, Jesus wasn't for the Jews. They have another Christ. And I don't know who his second Christ is, but there's only one Christ that was to come, and he was to fulfill all things, and in him is all the fullness. So Jesus goes down. Jesus of Nazareth, he comes up anointed of God, Messiah to the world, the one that will bear the sins of the world. Amen. I think we need to understand this about the ministry of the Lord if we want to talk about his ministry. There's a lot of different views and renderings of his ministry. If you don't like the one Hollywood put out this year, then you can wait until next year. I saw one and it was humorous. It was the smiley Jesus. This might work for Big Pastor Smiley. The Smiley, he just had a grin on his face. And I watched a little bit. I couldn't stand too much, but I watched a little bit of it. And everywhere, he just smiling and smiling and smiling. Even when he said things that, that were corrective, he's just smiling. And, and that was the rendering of the person who felt like possibly Jesus was just a smiling Messiah. Well, that's okay. I, you know, he probably did smile. But there were times that he was angry. There were times that he demonstrated good correction on, on his disciples. But, but how we see him in his gospel, how we see him ministering, it's, it's really unique. And, and so if we see him as one who just come to love, who just come to, to be that good friend to the center, a lot of people see Jesus just the friend to the center, friend to the center. Listen, his friendship to the center is he's offering them salvation. It's say, yeah, he hung out with the harlots and he hung out with the, with, with, with the tax collectors and he was, just, he was just one of them. No, he wasn't one of them. He was bringing them up. When he went to the tax collector's house, he didn't leave him there. He brought him up. Zacchaeus, after just one visitation and one revelation with Jesus Christ, he realized where he was and said, I'm a sinner. Listen, what I've done, I repent for it and I will try to pay back what I've done to people. This is how Jesus led them out of from where they were. Did he talk? Did he fellowship with them? Yes, he did, but only to bring them into his revelation. Now listen, Jesus did heal people 
because of compassion. He saw some people that were very sick, and it moved his heart. I don't know about you, but when you see people in really bad conditions, does it move your heart? You just feel like, if I could help them, if I could somehow, just somehow help them. And so you watch TV long enough, and they're going to give you an out. They've got a business where they help these people and show a lot of kids who are, you know, starving and if they want to get your money, but then you find out it really doesn't go to them and it just makes you mad, but you still do have a compassion. Why do you think people stand on the corner and fly a card- cardboard sign? Because you look at them and they look dirty and they look hungry and, and they have needs and sometimes they have little kids there and they, there's just compassion. There's compassion. Jesus did heal people out of compassion. He did do that. He fed thousands when he saw that they were hungry, saw that they had a need. He didn't want to send them away hungry back to, the, back to their towns. And so he did a great, great miracle. And that, that is out of his love and concern for people. He raised the dead and restored them back to their families. The first time we see this done, Jesus came and, 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 it, and, it, and it said this was the only son of this woman at the city of Nain. And they were, they were having a procession and it was her only son. And don't you know that Jesus was just grieved about that. Here's this woman who has nothing. She doesn't even have a husband and now she's lost her son. He touched that casket and he raised that son, that boy, young man, back up to her. And that's the, the kind of love and concern that Jesus had over families. They reported to him, the 12-year-old girl is dead. And they were crying and they were upset and, and just like you would be if you lost one of your 12-year-old children. And Jesus came there and raised that little one back up and restored her. And I believe it was to show these families that God does care about your family. And he preached this gospel of the kingdom. He preached so that people would be touched and moved. But everything he did was to show his godness and his glory in the earth to reveal who he really is. I want to tell you something this morning. God can do a miracle in your life and you turn around and walk away from him. He can bring you back from death. And you can turn later and just go on your merry way. So his just healing you is not enough. You can be so broke. Has anybody here ever been broke? Like... You know, really broke. And you're down praying, oh, God, help me, Lord. Just do something in my life and I'll serve you really good, you know. God comes through and he answers your prayer. And and how long does that last? We just recently, a certain person said, if God does this and that, I'll come to church. How long does that last? See, there's no lasting faith in that stuff. There's only a lasting faith in the revelation of Christ in your life. That is your faith. And so everything that he did wasn't just to show compassion. It wasn't just to show God's love. It wasn't just to show that that he cared about families and, and that he wanted to do good things for people, but he was there to show who he really is 
And that's all I want to know this morning. I want to know who Jesus is. Somebody say amen to that. I want to know who he is. So between the baptism and the cross, we find this ministry. Here, here is this ministry of the Lord. It, it is amazing what he can do and what he did do. But everything begins to intensify. And I don't know if you've ever seen it this way, but let me share this with you this morning. Everything that Jesus did and began to do started on one level and ended up on a much higher level. Because he's building to a crescendo. Does everybody know what a crescendo is? That's like the, the conclusion of a big musical production. And you're going to the height of, of all that it's about and you get that final crescendo. Well, this is the picture of what Jesus began to do, that everything began to intensify, everything began to escalate and to build towards one thing that Jesus finally said, for this cause have I come into the world. But he begins, and I, and I like this, because, because he begins in a natural lesson. His first miracle is turning the water into wine. A lot of people want to go back to the turning the water into wine and say, that's the great miracle he did. No, that's the beginning miracle. See, in following the, the progressive revelation of the Lord, I can't stay back there. I've got to continue on. So he does an amazing miracle, but, but he shows his, his power over elements when he turns the water into wine. Those people drank that. It did them basically no good, but just, you know, quenched their thirst. They were at the feast. It's over. What a great miracle that was. His disciples saw it, and they believed on that level. They believed that Jesus had the power over elements. Well, that's pretty good. That's a good start. And, and so, but he doesn't leave it there. It progresses and grows until the end of his ministry. He's not changing water into wine anymore. He's calling Lazarus out of the grave. He's showing that he has power over death and the grave. He's not just showing that he has power over some elements to change it, its structure into, from water into wine, but he is calling a man that has been four days dead out of the tomb. He's calling him out of the resting place wherever he is and calling him, and as he comes out, he shows his power and backs up that revelation that said, I am the resurrection and the life. See, they're at Cana at the wedding. He's not telling them, I'm the resurrection and the life. No, he's just, he's just doing a, a small miracle so that they may begin to believe. And so he, his first sermon is the way of the Beatitudes. And a lot of folks are going back there. Oh, yeah. We're just going to go hang on to Beatitudes. That's where we're going to stay. Really? You know, the Beatitudes are the main thing. Well, I hate to tell you this this morning. That was the beginning part. That wasn't the ending part. That was the beginning of the revelation of his kingdom ministry. And so he did give us the Beatitudes, and they are good, and they are right. But we don't stay back there. 
There's a lot of preachers that are staying there and just working in the Beatitudes and don't get any further. We're just going to talk about the meek shall inherit the earth. We're going to talk about those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I believe all, every one of those things that Jesus said. But he starts there, but he doesn't end there. He ends, his last sermon is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way is not found in Beatitudes. The way is found in Jesus Christ. The way is not even found in some of those teachings, some of the civil teaching, some of, some of the Jewish teaching. No, I can't go there because Jesus walks further. He brings his revelation further than just it's good to be good. You should treat your neighbor right. You should be honest and you should work and those things are right. But he brings us up to a place where you're not going to last on it's good to be good. You're only going to last on I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes, no one comes past me. He begins his ministry in Mary's introduction back to Cana again. That's the starting place John gave us. Mary says to them, this is my son. Whatever he says to you, do it. No wonder Jesus said, woman, this isn't going to last very long. This idea that that I'm just one of the boys that came from Nazareth. No, some things have changed now, Mama. What have I to do with that? And, and what, what is your concern in this? Because finally, he's going to get to the place. It's going to escalate. It's going to escalate the things that he teaches of himself. Finally, he gets to the place that last closing night and talks about himself. He says that I am not just mama's boy anymore, but I am the progenitor father expressed in human form. I and my father are one. Now, Mary, you might introduce me when I get here and when I start ministry that I'm your boy, but I'm going to change that by the time the last night of my messianic ministry is going to be about me. It's not going to be about you or being your son or being, being the heritage of David. It's going to be about I and the Father are one. The one seeing me has seen the Father. Look at what he does. It's a progression from where he started to where he ends. But by the time he ends, I believe that he is rendering unto his disciples, not that he's just a son of man. Not that he's just the son of David. Not that he's Jesus of Nazareth. But now he is showing them I am almighty God standing before you. This is what his ministry is about. His ministry is about revealing himself to the world. John's ministry was about revealing Christ. Christ's ministry is about revealing himself to the world. Isn't that awesome? Can you say amen? The Lord needs his revelation. He's got to be revealed in fullness before the death of the cross so that they would believe that he is resurrected from the dead. 
that's another distant revelation I want to talk about that in another sermon, but but he needs to reveal to them before he dies who he is. They need to understand and believe on him right now. You believe in God? Believe in me. He needs to bear that home to them. I'm going away. Listen, you're not going to see me anymore. You're not going to see this physical body. I'm going away. But listen to this, though. I'm, I'm coming back. And we're not talking about some rapture day. We're, we're talking about I'm coming back in spirit to you. But first of all, you have to believe who I am. You have to know who I am. See, halfway through this thing, Jesus said to his disciples, whom do men say that I am? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Come back. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. Some say, but who do you say that I am? Now, I want you to listen to this revelation, but this revelation is not complete until we get to Jesus' words. But Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's good. That's good to know him in that way. It's good to know, yes, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. All things are going to be built on that. But the revelation of who he, are, who he is even goes further than the Son of the living God. I think that Thomas finally got it when he said to him, You are my Lord and you are my God. I think that's where it needed to go. Can you say amen? Not that you're just a Christ. Not that you just have a messianic ministry. Not that you can do all of these things, miracles, signs, and wonders. It's not that you're just the son of the living God. It goes a little bit further than that. You are my God. At this juncture, halfway through his ministry, his disciples will have a problem with that. They, they would not be able to understand some of these things. Jesus even told him, I've got a lot of things to tell you, but you can't handle them right now. And so some things I'm holding in reserve for you. They couldn't, if, if the Lord stood out at that point in that moment and proclaimed himself to be God Almighty, there, there may be some confusion among his disciples. But he's going to bring them along and along and along. And the more that they're with him, the more they see of him. Let me tell you this, Christian saint, you started at the altar. You started by giving your life to Jesus, but it didn't stop there. And, and there's, there is no substitute. There's no substitute for that ongoing, fresh, new revealing of Christ in your life, day after day, service after service, year after year. Listen, we've only served him. Maybe some of us here have served him 30, 40, 50 years, but this thing's just getting started. We will see him as he is. We'll see him in his glory. We're gonna, the, the, the scales will be taken off, and though we've never seen him, in the physical body yet we know him by the power of his spirit and one day we will see him as he is for we shall see him in all of his glory and we look forward to that day but I want to know him as we go along I want to understand him I want to know who he is and so Lord I follow your progressive Revelation. When Thomas had finished that statement, you are my Lord and my God, 
I do believe there was a certain pleasure as God had planned it to be this way. Really, he's the first one to make that clear declaration. A lot of people are having still struggling to make that declaration in their life. Jesus, you are my God. So what do you mean he's my God? You know, we've, we've got something else out there. No. No, because all the fullness of the Godness dwells in him. You are my God. Don't we sing a lot of songs like that? Jesus, you. You are my king. You are the Lord God. You. Lord, we praise you. We bless you. I believe this is exactly what God had planned to be, the complete, full faith in Jesus, our Lord. The writer of Hebrews says later, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Everybody say amen. He started it, and he finishes it. Well, I got another, you know, thing, another tangent that I go on. I go out here and in spirit somewhere. No, no, hang, time out. He's the author and the finisher. You can't get sidetracked to something else now. He's the author. He starts it, and he finishes it. We can't get sidetracked in, in, in a lot of, lot of theories and ideas and, and, and church stuff. He's the author in my life. He started me on this road. He saved me from my own destruction. And he's the one who has kept me on the road. Somebody say amen. And to the end, he will finish this thing in my life. He that has begun the good work, he's the same one that's going to finish it in the day of the Lord in my life. And so I just got one thing. Makes it really, really easy for me. I serve the Lord, my God, Jesus, my Christ. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I, I want to say something uh, this morning, and there's, there's a lot of stuff hanging in the air. I can feel it a little heavy, and we all have been, got a lot of questions and things, and and so the Lord kind of took me here. What do we do when our faith in Christ collides with earthly systems? What do we do? If you don't realize it, you better figure the answer to this out. What do we do when earthly systems collide? with our faith in Jesus. Because we are flesh, and because we are human, and, and this is why I started with the daily walk, the human walk, it seems as though we have the power to preserve ourselves. There's something inside of us that says keep on living. Can you say amen? Keep on providing. There's something in, it, in us that says provide for your family. I believe it's natural and I believe it's God-given. That's something that it's just hum, human nature. Something we want to do. 
Just take care of our people, take care of our stuff. We, we want to do that. Man, we'll do everything, whatever it takes, right? Do anything it takes to get those things done. So what do we do with our faith when what you have to do in an earthly system collides with the faith of Jesus Christ in our life? And I think I'm not trying to set anything out here this morning to, to, to go on a tangent, but but I just want to deal with this because this is this is coming up in, in days in front of us. Do we discard our faith in order to obey the laws and orders of government? This has always been a question for the church. Do we set our faith aside in order to appease the government? Because Listen, if we don't, they could shut us down. And then what happens? So nobody gets to go to church. See, that's, that's how we think in the flesh, right? That if we appease and we appease, I'm going to tell you something. You can appease the devil today. He'll come back tomorrow. He wants more. He wants more. I talked last week about the God of this world. There is an enemy in the earth called the God of this world. Some of the things that, that we're seeing, are not, they, they're not being pushed necessarily by anyone's certain agenda, but there is a God of this world. And the ultimate goal of the God of this world is to distract and blind the eyes. Blind the eyes so that there will be no revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what's one of the good ways he can do that? He can bring the church down. If he can bring the church down, tear the church apart. Don't let people meet. He thinks that he's going to win the battle, but he hasn't been looking in China. He hasn't been looking in Russia. He hasn't been looking in the Middle East where God is still saving people and the church is surviving under rash, hard conditions because God's gospel will not be stomped out by the God of this world. It just isn't going to happen. The gates of hell, the gates of hell, the God of this world will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not an open statement for churches. It's the true followers of Jesus Christ. Many churches are teaching that we need to submit to government. Rodney and I were talking about that. I hope you're not preaching on that tonight. Because that's what we do. We get up and destroy the next guy's sermon. <laughs> Eat it up. Right, Rodney? Many churches now are taking this stance. We need to obey the government. It's godly, a godly, righteous thing to obey the government and laws. We need to do the laws. My problem with that is that Jesus was a lawbreaker. Oh, he wasn't a God lawbreaker, but he was a Jewish lawbreaker. One of the reasons why they hated him. Hey, Jesus, if you have to heal somebody, do you have to do it on the Sabbath? No, I want to do it on the Sabbath. Because I want to show you what the Sabbath is about. It's not about your laws. Well, Jesus, your, your disciples, couldn't you just take them down to the local store and buy them something to eat? They had to walk through the field, and they didn't wash their hands, and they ate the corn. And Jesus' retort to that is, I did that on purpose. 
Because I want to show you there are God's laws and there are man's laws. And when they cross, God's laws come first. Now, I'm not trying to cause rebellion here this morning, so I'll try and be careful with this. I want, to, I want to bring to you, in just a few minutes, I want to bring to you Acts, the fourth chapter and the 18th verse. And there was, well, it's just in the fourth chapter. I think it begins in the 18th verse. There was a situation that happened in the early, early church. Peter and John went down to the temple to pray. And there they saw the blind man. Does everybody remember that? Not the blind, I'm sorry, the lame man. And he'd been sitting there begging all many, many years at Gate Beautiful. And he's begging to, to Peter and John, do you have some money? Can you help me out? You know, and they're compassionate. They stopped. A lot of people just walked right on by and they stopped. They dug in their pockets. They said, we don't, silver and gold, we don't have any. But such as we have, we're going to impart to you. This is what we've got. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man rising up, his ankle bones, his, his system went back together. He began to run and shout and praise God. And he was tearing it up in the temple. And a mass of people came to hear John and, and Peter preach. And as they began to preach, people were being saved. People were, were coming to the Lord. They were repenting of sin. I mean, they had like revival right there at that very time. Now, now, of course, the Jews and, and the, the, the scribes, Pharisees, and the priests didn't want this to go on, and they arrested them and put them in holding. And then they brought together the Sanhedrin. Now, watch this really carefully, okay? The Sanhedrin comes from Moses' day when Moses was uh, instructed of the Lord to gather together 70 judges so that he would be able to judge the tribes of Israel. In all of the matters, Moses couldn't do it. There was just too much, millions of people. And so they took the 70 judge thing and added one, Moses, 71. So the Sanhedrin collected, and they were 71. And I didn't know this until I began to study this. They had their own hall, their own little judgment hall, and it was called uh, the, uh, let me get here, the Hall of Hewn Stones. It was attached to the temple. And so this is where they took Jesus. This is where they took the offenders of their law. They took the offenders of those that, against Judaism. And they would take them in, and it looked like a long haul from what they said, longer than this. And they had seating on the side. They had their 71 people there that were in the Sanhedrin. And then also today, they brought the priest, the high priest, and all his family. So we're going to make this thing just as legal as we can possibly be. They bring up John and Peter and the man. The scripture said he was standing with them. So now if you can imagine this in your mind, there are, there are 35 people lined up on each side. You're standing in the middle and they begin to accuse them. And they're railing on them and and uh, what you're doing causing insurrection, what are you doing with this, this gospel that you have, this, this new sect that you've come up with? Look at all the people that you're, you're causing a ruckus, and we want to know what you think you're doing. And Peter steps up to the plate, and he says, listen, if you want to talk about the man who got healed, I want to let you know right now 
that he was healed in the name of Jesus. Kind of reminds me of we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? If that's what you want to talk about, then I'm going to start it by saying that. We didn't heal him. Jesus healed him. But let me tell you about Jesus. He is the cornerstone which you all rejected. Looking at him. And there's 35 on this side and 35. You guys rejected him. And he has become the cornerstone of the building. And there is salvation in no other name. There is no other name given among man whereby you must be saved. And he stopped. Well, can you imagine the silence in the hall now? They said, remove them for a few minutes. And they took Peter and John and the man that was healed and put them outside. And they got discussing the laws. And they, read, they said, well, we can't, we read, they haven't done anything that we can really punish them for. And so, but let's, let's, let's make up a, an order here. And so they did, brought them back in, and they said, we have decided a judgment, and this was a legal judgment. These men were the lawmakers under Herod, under Rome. They were the lawmakers for the Jewish people. The everyday civil stuff, they're the ones that settled it. They said, we've come up with a law, and the law is this. It's a gag order on Jesus Christ. Let me, let, me, let me tell you the way they put it. Do not speak in general or even utter a sound about him. And do not teach in the name of Jesus. It's a law. It didn't take Peter and John very long. Peter, Peter just spoke up and said, well, that law's not going to work. Because I'm going to tell you right now, even before I get out of this hall, that we can't help but teach in that name. And what he's done in us, he's our Savior. He's our Lord. Our faith is in him. We can't help but talk about him. We're going to talk about him. And so he looks at them again, and they're confused as to what to do. So all they can do is begin to threaten them. If you do it again, we're going to get you. We're going to bring you. Hey, listen, immediately they had made Jewish or Jesus followers, they had made them all outlaws by the law. I don't know if it's going to come to this. Well, I'm telling you what, it's working that way. The God of this world, he's not out just for freedoms. He's out to shut the church down. He's out to tell you, you can't teach and preach in this name anymore. That we're not tolerating it anymore. And what are you going to do? I hope that we all have the guts. I hope that we all have the faith that Peter said, you might as well do whatever you're going to do to me right now because I'll tell you, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to take text and we're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ again and again and again and again and again. And because... Because of men like Peter, because of men like John,
because of the apostles who would not back down even though the threatenings went on and they not only threatened them they put together a Gestapo if you will they put together a KGB a police group so that they could punish and inflict punishment on those people they weren't kidding when they were throwing out all those threats against the church they meant to back them up but they were led by a radical man whose name was Saul of Tarsus that went door to door arresting people but I want to tell you this by faith in Jesus Christ they have passed to us what we have today they wrote the scriptures they carried the faith they kept the church they kept faith in line they kept Jesus head of all and we have today because of what they did 2,000 years ago they kept the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ And that's why, folks, we can talk about issues. We can talk about culture. We can try to adapt our church so that nobody will be offended, so that all cultural things will feel okay, that everybody will feel at ease. I mean, I could come in here with tight pants with, with holes in them and a, and a T-shirt on and, and some little biker boots, you know, and... Anybody that comes in is just going to feel so at home. And, and, and everybody, you know, we're just, let me tell you something. It's going to be hard for churches who have done that to turn the ship around. I'm afraid for most churches, they're not going to be able to turn the ship around. It's a little bit too late. And that's why we're going to hold on to Jesus and his teachings. Amen. We might as well just hold on to him. We might as well just believe him. Thank God they kept their faith. Thank God they kept their faith. Brother Tom, Sister Debbie, and musicians, would you guys come? I want to sing. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I'm not going to trust the, the sweetest frame. The holy trust in Jesus' name this morning. Because on Christ, the solid rock, I say, if you're not on the rock this morning, you need to get on the rock. We don't necessarily have to have an altar call where you all come down and repent again, but if you're not on the rock, you need to get on him. There's only one thing that's going to stand, and that is this rock. It has stood through time, and it will continue to stand through the test of time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Bye.